As you'll see behind me, the reading is on page 73 in our church Bibles, and it's Exodus chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 1 to 15 and then move on to 31 to 36. This is the account of the manna and the quail. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Zin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And on to verse 31. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, 
Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna forty years until they came to a land that, that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. An omer is one-tenth of an ephah. Um, let's keep our Bibles open then, uh, Exodus 16 and 17, and why don't we pray again for the Lord's help to understand this. Heavenly Father, we thank you, and we're ever so grateful for your word to us. We thank you for the promises that we find within the scriptures, and we thank you this evening, Lord, that these promises that you make to your people in the wilderness, Lord, they weren't only promises uh, for your people then, but they are promises for your people today. And so we pray that you would give us humble hearts that are ready to learn and ready to be taught by you. And Lord, would you please force these truths deep down into our hearts that we would be a people that carry them into the world and live lives of thankfulness and gratitude for your saving work in our lives. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. wonder when the last time you was when... You really experience someone grumbling, like really grumbling. I've been married just over a year uh, to my dear wife, Han, down there, who's just walked in late. And this isn't too, um, I'd have said this anyway, Han's not too bad actually in this area, in all fairness. Han's pretty good in the area of grumbling. Yet, it's inevitable, isn't it? The more time you spend with one person, certain flaws in your life will be exposed, both in their life and in your life, we were on holiday, um, end of September this year, we went to Greece, great holiday, and um, it was a sailing holiday, second week of the holiday, we've got our own boat, didn't know what to do with it, but we've got our boat, and we were part of a flotilla, which is a group of boats, and the whole point was you start off on one island in the morning, go wherever you want, and you end up on the, at the same island that night as a group, and we had a lead boat that sort of gave us a few tips in the morning, so here we are, I think it was about the third day of our trip, we're just getting the hang of things. And so we've arrived at this port on the third evening. And what's meant to happen is when you get to sort of the, the, sort of the harbour as you go in, and you're meant to, to uh, radio in to the lead boat. So here we were, and our, our boat's called Afterglow. So uh, go on the face, go on the face. This is Afterglow, Afterglow. We're uh, approaching the harbour uh, in waiting instructions. And so you wait for a minute, and then the radio comes back. Uh, Afterglow, this is Golden Face. You are currently third in the queue. Uh, please hold fast. And so all you do is you're sort of travelling around the harbour, motoring around, and you wait for these other two boats to go in. So in they go, one next to it, then the other one goes in. One space left on the quay. We're like, this is ours. Start lining up, get the boat in reverse, making our way in. Without warning, there's this other boat uh, that was actually uh, crewed by a, a couple of German guys, great guys, but here they are, without notice, then their boat's name was What's Up. So they come flying into the harbour. We've been motoring around, get this for half an hour already, waiting for this last space. Here they come. Uh, go on a face, go on a face. This is Vatsav, Vatsav. They're coming in. And without notice, they've just nipped past this lovely little manoeuvre and slotted themselves into the last space on the quay. Me and Hannah st- stood there on the boat. We've looked at each other. Absolute amazement. But it's not long before that amazement turns to bitterness, right, and grumbling. And there are things said in that ten minutes which I would not want to repeat in front of you. But it takes a while to wake up, doesn't it? 
takes a while to wake up and realise that you've lost sight of the bigger picture. Because here we are on the holiday of our lives. We're in the middle of the Mediterranean. We've got a boat. We're about to wander into the hills to find a little taverna and have some meal. Maybe uh, go to sleep under the stars on the deck of the boat. And here we are complaining. When the first thing goes against you, how easily you lose sight of that bigger picture and turn against the people that are closest to you. And you see, when we come to Exodus 16 and 17 this evening, it's exactly the same thing. The Israelites have lost sight of the bigger picture. They've experienced the wonderful saving grace of God. Here's a nation who witnessed God in action in Egypt. A nation that saw the ten plagues firsthand. A nation full of people who'd have actually sprinkled the blood on the door frames. And watched the avenging angel as it passed over and spared the firstborn of the Israelites. Here's a nation that followed the mighty presence of God out of Egypt. The pillar of cloud that led them out. Here's a nation that walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. With the waters piled up on the left and the waters piled up on the right. Here's a nation that experienced the saving work of God. Yet by the time we come to Exodus chapter 15, they're grumbling. And they've turned against him. And if we were to read Exodus 15, 16 and 17, I think Alan mentioned this last week, there's actually ten references. Ten references to the grumbling attitude of the Israelites. See, this wasn't a one-off. It happens again and again and again and again. And it wasn't just a few individuals either. Have a look down at 16 verse 2. This is all of God's people united together in their complaints against him. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And yes, they might have brought their initial complaints to the leaders of Israel, but you know what? Underlying it all was this ungrateful attitude towards God. Take a look at the second part of verse 8. Who are we, says Moses? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Here is a group of people that just a couple of months earlier were united in their praise, singing songs of deliverance for all that God had done for them. Yet two months later, they're united once again, but this time in their opposition against God. Oh, how quickly things can change, right? How quickly things can change. And it'd be ever so easy for me and you this evening as we're sat here in the comfort of Long Crendon Baptist Church, to look back and shake our collective heads at Israel, how can you be so stupid? How can you forget so quickly all that the Lord has done for you? It'd be ever so easy for us to look back at them and laugh. But here's the point this evening. We're meant to read this story and not look back and laugh, but to look back and learn from the Israelites. Just flick with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I think this verse will come up on the screen behind. 1 Corinthians 10, um, verse 11. Here it is. In verses 1 to 10, the Apostle Paul, he looks back at this time of Israel in the wilderness, and he picks out a few highlights. Then this is what he says in verse 11. I'm going to read it to you. These things happened to them as examples, and were written down as warnings for us. 
This story tonight is a warning for us that our hearts would not grow ungrateful, that we would not lose sight of the wonderful saving grace of God that He has given to us, that our hearts would be forever thankful, forever grateful, forever full of gratitude, whatever comes our way in life. Because life isn't always sweet and smelling of roses, is it? We've heard from Martin already. Life can be tough. Life will throw up all sorts of challenges, trials, struggles. But the challenge from this passage is, will our hearts forever be thankful? Will we embrace whatever the Lord throws before us? And will our lives display that thankfulness to Him? Because I don't know what sort of situation you're in tonight. Maybe that's you going through some tough times. But here's the deal this evening. There's three wonderful encouragements in this chapter. That we would remain a people who are committed to him. Here's the first one. We believe in a God who provides. Have a look with me at verse 9 to 12. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert. And there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Despite the grumbling of the Israelites, the Lord promises to provide for his people. And he does so with meat in the evening in verse 13. He brings the quail in which are a pretty dumb bird, easy to catch. It provides meat for the Israelites in the evening. And in the morning, he provides them with bread from heaven. As the dew evaporates, so it leaves this frosty, flaky, bread-like substance on the ground. A substance the people later call manna. Look, in verse 31, the people of Israel called the bread manna. It is God's provision for his people in the wilderness. But you know maybe the greatest encouragement in this little section here It's the promise alongside the God who has made it. Take a look again at verse 10. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Why in this particular moment, as Moses relays this promise of God to the people, he says, full stop, promise, God will provide for you in the wilderness. No questions asked. And in that very moment, look how the Lord chooses to display his glory. In the presence of this mighty cloud for the people to see. Why does he do that? Because he wants to remind the people that it is the same God. It is the same God who delivered them from Egypt, who will now carry them through the promised land. The same God who led the way in the pillar of cloud out of Egypt, who went before them across the Red Sea, who went behind them to protect them from the pursuing Egyptians. It is the same God. The same God who rescued. He promised to rescue his people, and he did. And now he promises to provide for his people, and he will. He will provide. Why do we doubt it? Why do we doubt God's good word to us. Because what God says, what he promises, it will come to pass. No questions asked. And you see, the question that I'm left with now is, what does this look like for me and you? Because this was a pretty unique provision of God for his people in those 40 years in the wilderness. 
What does it look like for me and you today to trust in God's provision for us? Well, I think the answer is found in John chapter 6. As all roads in the Old Testament lead to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to John chapter 6 quickly. And we're just going to read a few verses from verse 48. John 6 verse 48. As Jesus explains to us what this looks like for us today to hold fast that promise of God's provision. John 6 verse 48. Here's Jesus speaking. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Where does that promise find its fulfillment? The promise God made to the Israelites? It finds its fulfillment in Christ. We have everything we need in Christ. We need nothing else. All needs are met perfectly in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus magnificently doesn't just refer to himself as the bread of life, but as the good shepherd. Why does he do that? Because as the good shepherd, he goes out and rescues his sheep. He finds his lost sheep from exile. He is the great rescuing God, but not that alone. He's the great providing God. He's the God who looks after his sheep. He's the God who cares for his sheep. He's the God who protects his sheep. He's the God who feeds his sheep. And he promises to do it. It's why we sing Psalm 23, isn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie in pastures green. He leads me by the still, still waters. His goodness restores my soul. There is everything we need in Christ. Oh, then we join and sing, I will trust, yeah? I will trust in you, Lord Jesus, and you alone. I will trust in you alone. Why? For your endless mercy follows me. Your goodness will lead me home. In his grace, in his goodness, God takes his people and he delivers them from Egypt. He delivers us from the power and the penalty of sin, but not that alone. He will sustain his people, he will provide for his people, and in his goodness, he will take his people all the way home, whatever challenges come their way in the wilderness. It is a promise from God Almighty. The question we're left with is, will we trust it? Because it's ever so easy to sing those words in here. When things are all right... But will we sing those words from the depths of our heart when the big challenges of life come our way? I think that's the challenge from Exodus 16. That's the first challenge. That's the first encouragement. Here's the second encouragement. We're going back to verse 4. We don't only believe in a God who provides, but we believe in a God who tests. And that might not sound like an encouragement. It might not sound like a lovely grace. But I think you'll see from this passage that it is just that. Exodus 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. There's the promise again. But here's how he's going to do it. Here's how the Lord is going to provide for his people. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much 
as they gather on the other days. This is how God is going to provide for his people. He's not going to drop down one massive loaf from heaven that's going to last for 40 years in the wilderness. How does God provide for his people on a daily basis? Daily basis. They're called to come out each day and collect only what they need for that day. Apart from on Friday when they're allowed to collect twice as much, they don't need to collect on the Sabbath. Point is, they're to collect only what they need for that day. One omer. Poor per person, per tent, per day. That's the rule. Why? Because the Lord wants to teach his people to depend upon him. To trust upon him on a daily basis. We've all been there, haven't we? Half-board holidays, where you get maybe uh, a breakfast thrown in and an evening meal. Uh, That's what we had when we were on holiday again. And everyone does it. Breakfast, you get as much as you can in a breakfast because you've got no lunch. And then you see people shoveling it into their bags. They're wrapping up bits of cheese and bread, a couple of jams. And you're all giggling because you've all done it because you all want to make a sandwich for yourself for lunch to provide for yourself. God says, no doggy bags. Have a look at verse 19. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. You're not allowed to provide for yourself. He doesn't want them to go to the fridge and rely on yesterday's supply. He says, come to me this morning. Depend on me again. Trust me again. Surely this is the basis for the Lord's Prayer, is it not? As Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, Father in heaven, give us this day our what? Our daily bread. Jesus wants his disciples to fall at the throne of grace every single morning and say, Lord God, I've not got enough to get through this day. I need you to sustain me physically in life, spiritually, emotionally, socially. I rely upon you. Yes, I can meander through this day on my own, but you know what? It will be for none effect for God. He wants us to come to his throne and say, God, I need your help. I need your help to stand for you this day in my workplace, in my school, in my college, to trust in you, to lean upon you, to depend upon you. It's not weakness to depend upon God. It's the way we were created. I was made to depend upon God. And you know what? It took the Israelites 40 years to learn this lesson. And I think we can be pretty slow in learning it as well. Because we live in a world that likes to provide for self. We like to find our securities in anything and everything but the simplicity of the saving work of Christ. Because he's met every single need for us. You see, God tests his people, friends, in order that they would depend upon him. And lean upon him every single day. That's the first part of the test, but it's not over. Because there's a second part of the test as well. Have a look at 15 verse 22. We're going back a chapter. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. And you see this pattern in chapter 15, chapter 16, and chapter 17. Here's the point. Who leads the people into the wilderness? It is the Lord. He could have taken them straight to the promised land. He can do what he wants. But he didn't. It is the Lord that leads his people into the wilderness. The challenges, the struggles, the tests of life. Friends, they're God-ordained. The things that come our way in life, they don't happen apart from the will of God. They happen because 
of the will of God. Because the Lord wants to test his people. He wants to shape his people. Flick with me. This is the last move we're going to make. Flick to Deuteronomy verse 8. Because I think this is really helpful in Moses summarising what's going on here in the desert. Deuteronomy 8. And we're going to go from verse 2. Because now Moses has reached the brink of the promised land. They've wandered for 40 years and they're about to head into the promised land. And here in Deuteronomy verse, uh, chapter 8 verse 2, Moses looks back and reflects upon why God did all he did for the Israelites and to the Israelites, in fact, in the wilderness. Verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. Why? To humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. The things that come our way in life come our way in life for a reason. Because God's people aren't only in need of rescue, but they're in need of refining. We're in need of being changed. We're in need of being humbled. We're in need of having those rough edges of our ungodly life shaved off so that we would treasure Christ above all things. And you know what? That doesn't mean we can't come before God and ask why. But it does mean there is a way to approach God in these situations because we can come before God with this grumbling, ungrateful, stubborn, hard-hearted heart and we come before God and say, God, what are you doing? You've got no right to put me through this. What's happening? Who are you? To, who are you? We can do that ever so quickly when things come our way in life. But you know what? We can approach God and still ask why. God, I'm, I'm baffled. I'm absolutely... I've got no idea why these things are happening to me in my life. Why me? Why my friends? Why now? Why are these things happening? It's not wrong to approach our God and ask why, but we must approach him with the right attitude. A heart that says, God, please teach me then. Teach me why I'm going through this. Teach me something about myself. Teach me something about yourself. Because God brings his people through the wilderness in order to shape them, in order to change them. But of course, the magnificent promise of God testing sits alongside his provision. He doesn't just take them there and leave them. He takes them into these situations to shape them. But he promises also to provide for his people. God tests his people firstly, so that we would depend upon him. And secondly, that we would become more like him. And the third thing, and lastly and most briefly, we also believe in a God who reminds. A God who provides, a God who tests, and lastly, a God who reminds his people in his goodness. Because you know what? I'm a forgetful person. We're forgetful people. How quickly we lose sight of God's goodness and graciousness and all he has done for us. And you know what? There's no better day to finish on a point like this, is there? On Remembrance Sunday... This is the day that we set aside to look back and remember. 
That we would look back and remember those people that have given of themselves and given of their own life in order to secure the freedom of others. And we look at the poppy on our lapel or on our shirt top and it forces me to be thankful for those people. Because we live in freedom today because of those that gave their lives for us. But so does God. Because God gave of himself. He gave his one and only son in order to secure the freedom for others. And he wants to remind us of who he is so that we would look back with grateful hearts. And this has been God's pattern throughout, has it not? Because what does he do after the great rescue from Egypt? He institutes the Passover, the meal. So that once a year the Israelites will gather together and they will look back and they will celebrate God's saving grace as he took them out of Egypt. But then here in verse 32 and 34 of chapter 16, God also reminds his people of how he provides for them. Moses said, verse 32, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come as a reminder. So the people of Israel would look at that jar of manna and their hearts would be full of gratitude for God's provision in their life. And of course, these two great ways of reminding the old people of Israel, they meet for us, I guess, in the Lord's Supper as we come before the Lord's table and we look back and we don't eat the Passover meal and we don't stare at a jar of manna. We look back at the Lord Jesus Christ. Because remember, these promises find their fulfilment in him. And so we look back and we rejoice in the cross of Christ. In a body that was broken and in blood that was shed. For in that moment, God rescues us from the darkness of hell. And he promises to provide every single thing we need in life to keep trusting him. To carry us home. Until we too cross the Jordan of our life. And we end up in the promised land. And on that day, friends, our hearts will be overflowing with thankfulness like you can never imagine. They'll be bubbling over for all that the Lord Jesus has done for us. My final challenge to you is will we be a people who remind each other of these things in everyday life? But we don't need to come to the Lord's table to look back and reflect upon Christ But in natural, everyday conversation, we talk about Jesus. We look back to the cross and we ask ourselves how how our weeks have been living for the Lord Jesus. So when when the uh, service finishes here and on the morning we head through for a cup of tea and I ask the standard questions, how's your weekend been, what have you done, what you got coming up this week, we all ask them, standard, right? It's just a twist, isn't it? How's it been living for Jesus this week? What have you got coming up this week that I can pray for? Because you know what? It's tough living for Jesus in this world. How can we support each other? We can talk about everyday life things, but we bring Jesus into it because we need Jesus, right? We need him every single day of our lives. He is the bread of life. He's our most magnificent saviour. He's our most gracious provider. And he's the God that holds us so tightly in his hand that he will carry us home, if needs must, to heaven, to live with him forever.
It is a most wonderful promise. And all he calls us to do is trust it. That's it. Why don't we take a minute? The band will come up shortly. But let's just have a minute as you're sat there. And this is for you to apply to your life. Because I don't know your challenges. You don't know my challenges. But they're all here. Or they're all coming. Why not ask yourself what God has been teaching you over the last couple of weeks, over the last couple of years? Because there will be lessons in there because God wants to train his people for godliness. Let's take a minute to see how it applies to us. Then the musicians will come up and we'll sing our last song.